You're listening to MLB.com Extras, brought to you by MLB.tv. It's baseball everywhere. Hey, everyone. Tim McMaster here, along with our MLB.com Red Sox reporter, Ian Brown. And Ian, big series with the Baltimore Orioles this week. Obviously, the top two teams in the American League East right now. And with a nice win on Monday night, the Red Sox actually give themselves a little cushion, a two-game lead. Uh, which means even if they were to lose the rest of the series, they're right there in the thick of things. But it also gives them a chance to really give themselves some space early on in the season. And big deal on Tuesday for this team because Eduardo Rodriguez finally makes his return to the starting rotation. Um, it's something that the team, I think when the injury first happened, they would have never imagined that he would be out until late May. But here we are, the last day of May, he's finally ready to make his big league debut for the season. Um, what do you expect to see from Rodriguez? Is there any kind of pitch count or anything like that on him heading into Tuesday night? Yeah, as far as pitch count, Tim, I think you're going to see him go. Uh, he can go up to 95, 100 pitches, something like that. They're not going to push him too much. And uh, that's tell you the truth. I think he's coming back at just the right time. I think that um, they didn't rush this at all. I think it took them a while to really find his way. And I think it's good that they didn't resist the temptation to bring him up earlier because he really wasn't throwing the ball at the same velocity that they that they were used to seeing him throw. And I think uh, he just wasn't confident in the knee. But he got braced a couple weeks ago, and it's a brace that's comfortable, and he's finally throwing the ball with confidence and with conviction. So uh, I think there's a good chance he'll come out and have a good uh, performance to start off his season tonight. Yeah, last thing you need for a young pitcher like him is to bring him back early and zap that confidence, which is probably, despite how well he's pitched uh, last year, uh, it's probably still in that fragile, young career kind of state. Now the tough luck loser out of this, you know, I don't want to say loser, but tough situation is Heath Hembry gets optioned to AAA, and here's a guy who's given this bullpen a big lift. He's pitched real well. How tough a decision was it for the Red Sox to send him down? Yeah, I think it was a tough decision, but look, you know, it's a, it's a classic thing. If he was the only, he was the only one who had options. And, right. You know, last year, um, a guy like Stephen Ray was in this position where he was the one who kept getting sent down because he had options. So there's always that one guy who probably deserves to be on the roster, but you ha- you you still have options. and You try to preserve as many good pitchers in the organization as uh, as you can. And that's why Henry finds himself on the short end of the stick right now. But I'm sure he'll be back. Uh, the way these things work, I'm sure he'll be back in short order. You know, probably within uh, ten days to two weeks, I'd imagine, because you know something always, something else always crops up. Obviously, a guy that doesn't have options is Clay Buckholes. He is in the bullpen now, though. It's a. Uh, I guess you got to wonder how it affects him mentally. He's always been a starter. Now he goes to the bullpen, but obviously he wasn't getting it done out of the rotation. Um, and then he actually gets a victory out of the bullpen over the weekend. Um, from your impression of, of hearing from Clay since the move to the bullpen, how is he handling this situation? Yeah, I don't think he's particularly happy about it. You know, to me it's a little bit reminiscent of 2004 um, when Derek Lowe was kind of moved to the bullpen at the end of the season into the playoffs. And even though Derek hadn't had a good season that year, it was hard for him to take. He was a guy who had been an established starter his whole, you know, most of his career and, uh, you know, a veteran guy on the team, and it's sort of similar to Clay right now. But I think Clay knows that he put himself in this position. As he put it, uh, as he put it himself, it's hard to take this, uh, you know, other than a slap to the face. And, you know, I think he's looking at it as a slap in the face, and he knows that, uh, you know, he's got to pitch better. And he did that on uh, on Saturday or Sunday in Toronto, rather, and he's going to have to keep doing that. And by no means is this being buckles in the bullpen the rest of the season. There's still, uh, and he can still pitch himself back into that rotation. I think Joe Kelly really has to establish himself now 
Um, Cho did great his first start back and then kind of struggled a little bit. Second one in Toronto. So, uh, you know, they'll keep their eyes on Buckles and see if he's making the improvements to uh, the execution of his pitches that they need him to. Yeah, this team is far from having a set, locked-in five-man rotation. That's that's for certain. Interesting that you brought up Derek Lowe in 2004 because I know Derek Lowe was not thrilled with that move that year, but then when you look to that postseason run, he was such a huge part of that. I, if I'm correct, didn't he get the win in every clinching game along the way in 04? Yeah, you know, he kind of he came out of the bullpen and pitched extra innings, right? Um, like like just like Buckles did on uh, on Sunday, and then after that, uh, you know, a confluence of events with Wakefield kind of giving up his start in the middle of that ALCS to help mop up and preserve the rest of the bullpen in Game Three. Then Derek Lowe found himself back in the rotation and pitched three great games as a starter <laughs> from there on. So yeah, I mean, it would not shock me if a similar thing happened to Buckles. Sometimes something like this happens and you refocus you say oh boy i was pitching so bad that they took my job away from me so i really better uh bear down a little harder here and focus a little more pitch to pitch that's so i think that maybe uh, when clay buckles looks back on it this might end up being the best thing that happens to him yeah and who knows i mean he's a guy who obviously has had unbelievable stretches through his career and if you could time one of those stretches at the right time for the season and, and stay healthy who knows what could happen? Certainly could be tremendous. I just wanted to go back to Edward Eduardo Rodriguez real quick, Ian. Um, as far as best ways to open up your season, facing this Baltimore Oriole lineup, probably not the best way. How does he match up against the O's? You know, I think he likes pitching against the Orioles, though, because, look, this is the team that, that sort of signed him, uh, developed him, and then I think he was hurt when they traded him uh, to the Red Sox for Andrew Miller back in, I think it was 2014, uh, deadline day. So I think you always get a little extra motivation when you're pitching against that former team. Um, Rodriguez, if I'm not mistaken, pitched pretty well against the Orioles last season. I think two out of three times he pitched against him, he pitched pretty well. So I think this is actually a good way for him to start because you know his, uh, you know, the adrenaline will definitely be flowing if it wasn't enough uh, already. Uh, I wanted to talk about Craig Kimbrell a little bit because obviously overall he's been very good as the closer for the Red Sox. He's had some blown saves that were, I guess, maybe get a little exclamation point next to them just because of the way they went down, uh, and, and he loses the game on Saturday. He, obviously, he, he blows the save in the eighth. Uh, the Red Sox come back in the ninth, and then he can't get it done in the ninth either. Um, he came into a tough situation there with runners on in the eighth, and that happened earlier in the season as well. Does he struggle a little bit? when he doesn't start the inning on the mound? Because some closers, obviously, you pitch the ninth, that's pretty much it. But sometimes you got to go to a guy in a tough spot in the eighth. Does he struggle a little bit when he comes in with runners on? Yeah, it seems like it. I mean, it's been a short sample size. So, look, I think any closer would rather start with a clean inning. Um, it seems to me Jonathan Papelbon was a guy who really, I remember early in his career, he really excelled in that situation where Francona would kind of bring him in sometimes. Uh, I remember one time in Texas, it was like bases loaded, nobody out or something, and he uh, kind of kind of got out of it. So different guys are different. I think, yeah, with Timberwolves seeing that uh, you know, he does do better with the clean inning. But at the same time, I don't fault John Farrell. You know, when he needs a strikeout there um, in the eighth inning and Kimbrell's his best strikeout pitcher, why not give it a shot? If it doesn't work, it doesn't work. So if I'm John Farrell, I continue to do that. You know, I don't think that uh, he would have been better off going to anybody else there. So he almost got out of it. You know, he did get the first strikeout. And then uh, Bautista kind of squibs one down the first base line there for, for basically a good piece of hitting by him. But, uh, you know, I wouldn't worry about Craig Kimball at all. I would have this guy close to my team any day. You know, he's a guy who's throwing 98 miles an hour with a really good curveball. And I think he's just had a kind of a, a couple of fluky, out of, fluky outings almost, I'd say, 
so far this year. For the most part, this guy has been uh, pretty good, and he's going to get the job done for you a lot more times than he's not. Yeah, and I totally agree it was the right move, and I certainly wasn't saying the Farrell shouldn't bring him in. You, you go to the closer there, and I think if you have a closer like Kimbrell, uh, he needs to expect from time to time to have to get that fourth or fifth out, and, and I think he does, and he's done it and in you know, time. But it's just interesting that he's had a couple of those meltdowns when he's come in with guys already on base. All right, we've, we spent so much time talking about Jackie Bradley Jr.'s hit streak that for a while there, Ian, Xander Bogart's hit streak was kind of under the radar because it was the – it was the second longest hit streak in baseball actively, yet the second longest on the team. But now that JBJ's streak comes to an end, Xander kind of takes center stage, and he's up to 23 heading into Tuesday night. And, man, you look at the average, you look at what he's done, and this is the guy. I know he was great last year, but I feel like he's really entering that next level kind of area this year and, and what the Red Sox thought they had when he was coming up as one of their top prospects. Yeah, I am so impressed by Xander Bogart, Tim. Um, much more so than last year, actually, because, you know, as great a year as he had last year, I felt like he was sort of just kind of spraying the ball to the right field a lot and wasn't really, um, you know, tough to criticize a guy who had 196 hits or whatever, but it felt like he wasn't really getting the most out of himself. It almost felt like he was trying, you know, he kind of fell in love with having a good batting average, so he was kind of preserving that by just sort of placing the ball the other way in the right field an awful lot. This year, he's just hitting the ball with authority. Um, he's hitting the ball where it's pitched. He's uh, hitting the ball hard uh, to all fields. He's got his power back. I think he has one home run fewer than he had all of last year. So, to me, he's hitting like 350 or something right now. This is a much more impressive um, Xander Bogart than the one we saw last year. As good as he was last year, this Xander Bogart, this guy to me is an all-star, uh, no question. Yeah, and I think right now you could easily say the the best shortstop in the American League uh, for right now. I think he's having a better year than Correa, Lindor, all those other young guys. You mentioned the power, and I feel like that was just in a something that had to come. When you look at the body this guy has and his frame, um, and he had hit for power at times in the minor leagues, I, I would have been shocked if we didn't at some point, I mean, he hasn't done it yet, but at some point see this guy hit maybe 20 homers in a season. Yeah, I mean, I think he hit, there was a 12 or 13 there in 20, uh, 2014. And for whatever, he just had one of those years last year where um, the combination was playing the ball the other way, and there was probably five to six that hit the top of the wall last year that he just uh, just missed on. So, yeah, he's going to, um, I think he has pretty easy 15 to 20 home run power. I never think he's going to be a guy that's going to hit 25 or 30. But, yeah, I think uh, you'll see him probably hit somewhere around uh, 15 this year, maybe hit it up to about 20 uh, next year. The guy is still only 23 years old, as hard as that is to remember sometimes. Yeah, it certainly is, and and this young nucleus continues to impress for the Red Sox. This has been MLB.com Extras, our Red Sox edition. For Ian Brown, I'm Tim McMaster. Tune in again next week. MLB.tv Premium, the number one live streaming sports service, is celebrating 13 years. Watch every out-of-market regular season game live or on demand in true HD. Real-time highlights, live look-ins, pitch tracking widget, and more. MLB.tv Premium includes a free At-Bat 15 subscription. Watch live baseball on over 400 mobile and connected devices. Watch at home, in the office, or on the go every night on every device. Blackout and other restrictions apply. Visit MLB.tv for details.